0: The Dream of Scipio from Cicero's De Republica The famous general Scipio, before he arrived in North Africa in which his Roman armies would eventually sack Carthage, Cicero recounts a night of remembrance of Scipio's grandfather, Scipio Africanus, who is famous for defeating Hannibal. We are told of a dream in which the general is visited by his grandfather and has a sort of -of out-of-body experience. He is taken to a high vantage point among the stars and is able to look down with an almost satellite view on Carthage. He is then given a foreshadowing of his career as an important catalyst in the Roman Empire's future. But then he is given an eternal vision of a divine realm. Upon hearing about this divine realm, Scipio asks if his father Paulus resides in this divine realm, and it is then that Paulus himself appears in Scipio's vision. Enthralled with emotion, Scipio asks to leave his life, and join his father and grandfather in this place of radical wholeness, to which his own father remarks, that attaining such an experience is predicated upon doing the good work which the divine has given. If Scipio pursues justice and piety, he will enter into that wondrous realm. As the discussion fades, Scipio becomes lost in the overwhelming beauty of the stars He becomes aware of just how far away and minuscule the entire earth is, let alone the Roman Empire, which is almost invisible to the massiveness of the universe. Scipio tours the systems of the skies, hearing a marvelous sound from the music of the various spheres and their spinning, to which most humans are usually unaware, and as Scipio returns his gaze to the earth, his grandfather exhorts him to see how insignificant worldly glory is in comparison to the cosmos. And he tells him to fix his mind always on heavenly things, to ignore earthly rewards and be guided only by virtue, and that he also must use the gift of his life to pursue goodness and care for the welfare of the cosmos. Africanus then disappears, and Scipio awakes. Despite one's metaphysical adherence, this story offers a challenging insight to those of us on the journey of change that is best summed up by David Bentley Hart in his article concerning this narrative titled, A Dream for Our Political Season. It encourages perseverance and hope and virtue simply by reminding one that there are transcendent harmonies that cannot be silenced by the din of contending interest, and that one is best able to act in good conscience. When one preserves a proper sense of proportion. Alas, we need to talk about a final aspect of change. Welcome to Transformation and the Process. My name is Tyler Kleberger, and this is Becoming Human. Um, I kind of look at this as an attempt to journey through the landscape of transformation. And I'm just trying to endlessly discover the world around me and share that with you all. And today I've I've got a bit of an axe to grind. And it's partly a cultural critique and partly a vision for how we need to approach change. I don't think our society is thinking properly about the very nature of transformation. And I, I want to do my due diligence in offering an alternative perspective. So consider this an epilogue to our series, A Guide to Changing Things. And I hope you find something beneficial to inform how you continue on you know, whatever adventure of growth you're on. So let's get into it. Let's talk about change as a long game. I want to start with a question we have actually already asked, and um, in the future, this section of the episode is available to be used by you, so if there's any questions you have of me or if there are any particular concepts you'd like me to give a brief rendition on, seriously, just let me know. I want you to have the opportunity to know who you are listening to, Um, but I'm also more than happy to do some digging and discovering if there is a pertinent idea you'd like to hear more about. But my question for you is the same one we used to start this series on change. Have you changed? If so, and I imagine at least to some degree you have, if you have changed, what was it like? How did it happen? Was it like a light switch getting flipped or, or was it more of a dimmer switch? Or was it a little of both? with well, you know, a shift and a slow transition we might say. Now, allow me to play my hand up front as you consider a change that has happened in your life. So first, I understand change and transformation to be a slow process. Second, our cultural MO appears to be a clamor for immediate impulsive solutions. Those are the assumptions I'm working with today. So whether it's clickbait articles or a burgeoning industry of self-help books or the sequestering disease of mlms that offer life-changing promises to the seller and of course to the buyer you know a new business adventure to make them lots of money from home which is a great hook to expand your own pyramid and grow the seller's cash base. and then you know life-changing promises to the consumer you never knew that getting this thing you want was so easy well, you know, this unknown technique or product or ingredient that has been hidden from purview is being shared with you like a Gnostic secret that will help you get whatever that thing is you want, which has not been obtainable through other methods. All right, you get the point. I don't like them. We appear to be a culture of magic pills and silver bullets and oversimplified singular answers that are more akin to lifestyle conspiracy theories than health, wellness, or identity transformation all in an effort to circumvent the process that seems embedded in the nature of sentient beings. So as we have been examining the process of change, it appears that actual transformation runs absolutely counter to this shortcutting, cutting life-hacking, secret ingredient and oversimplified technique culture that we have before us. All right, can you imagine a QVC commercial for change? All right, like... We're here to tell you about a process that will change your life over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah, how do we embrace actual change and transformation in a a culture that is bent on skipping the process and getting answers without the work and discipline of actually becoming? Now, if you remember, the third stage of trans-theoretical stages of change was titled action. And the core idea was that external conditions need to be established to help alter the internal decision of where you want to go. And the implication is that doing this transition to catalyze whatever shift that you've made, it requires consistent action over time, which is why the fourth stage of that theory is simply to maintain the process as life continues to ebb and flow. But there's another component of the reality of change that that seems quite ignored by the shortcut perspective that I'm kind of railing against. And one of the main reasons we resist change and that it so often fails to blossom is because change is hard and it happens slowly. And so therefore, creating a market in which we claim to have finally overcome this difficulty by making change no longer hard and no longer slow that might mean that we are being offered something that doesn't actually deal with change. It's like you're going to run a marathon and someone says, hey, I can give you a way to make this marathon super easy. After the first mile, you can cut through this business plaza and be at the last leg of the run. It would certainly make the marathon easier. But it would also mean that's not a marathon anymore. And whatever benefits the marathon and the training offered to one's whole self as well as the accomplishment of enduring such a difficult process that would be absent at the end. The entire holistic adventure of the marathon is transforming more than just a credibility to say that you did it. The physical, mental, emotional, relational, and ideological health that comes from such a feat, it's only obtainable if you endure the grueling slog of the process. My premise here is that change, like a marathon, is a long game. Transformation is a very particular existential experience and you cannot shorten it. Metamorphic rocks seriously might be the best illustration here. You have three geological categories of rocks, okay? Igneous, sedimentary, and metamorphic. Only igneous and sedimentary rocks are naturally occurring. A metamorphic rock exists by taking one of those two rock forms and transforming it into a new rock, which requires putting the rock through a tremendous amount of heat and pressure and stress and difficulty over time. At that point, the rock will transform. This, in my opinion, is how things change. It takes time. Change is hard and it happens slowly. And if you were to say, no, look, I can change this rock and then you just added some paint, you made the rock look different, but, but you didn't change the rock fundamentally. You didn't transformatively alter the very nature of the rock. Now, previously we used the image of water and a cliff to explain you know, what, what you are wandering into when you begin a process of change, right? You are like the weathering and erosion of the Grand Canyon, a result that comes from water's patient endurance over time this is what we're invited into. It's like fermentation or barbecue that's actually good. There aren't any shortcuts for this. And if you've ever had a beverage where someone skipped the necessary time for molecular change of bacteria and sugar, now you know the taste in my mouth when I see how our culture approaches change. Like, can you eat ribs that were cooked in a microwave? Probably. Do I want to do that? Absolutely not. So what is going on When we propose alternatives that actually avoid the process of the long game, I would say that we are stealing the journey of a transformed constitution a a, a, a transformed self. And we are leaving folks with a sentiment of difference while ensuring that nothing will ever, ever have to be different. And I think we are very willing to talk about the process, right? Many famous authors and podcasters have built entire brands that are much more popular than anything I'm doing by glamorizing the process. But we still seem to prefer the magic pills and silver bullets. We'd rather give our attention to stylized font on a social media graphic or a person with a hip brand. But this is just my hunch. If someone has put more effort into the appeal than the actual content, you might be getting gypped by pyrite instead of real gold. Like, why go to therapy when you can listen to a TED Talk? Why develop a new habitual routine when you can take a supplement? Why do and learn when you can look at cool images on Instagram or a short blurb from a person who is famous for being famous and has the social media following to prove it? Why? Because we can get ahead without having to endure the work that gets us ahead. We want results without having to produce them. Comfort and pleasure and the desired outcome all at once? That's just a deal you can't pass up. And This is why I love that story by Cicero. There is something real about recognizing the value of a proper sense of proportion. Seeing the fragility of the immediate, singular answers and fixes we crave is refreshing when you look at those shortcuts in the grand scheme of the marathon of your life in the world. The impulsive ease that we gravitate toward is revealed as a temporary, flawed replica of the real. And we see that the transformation we need is recognizably good when viewed with a proper sense of proportion. Change is not a switch that you just flip on. It is a process. A shift and a slow slog of a transition where step by step the entirety of an experience is being altered. And I think this approach provides what the commodities of easy answers and magic pills cannot. Really running the marathon offers something that cutting through the business plaza can't. Real ribs, smoked with real fire, you know, not not that liquid smoke garbage, offers something that the simple process cannot especially if you endure doing the cooking yourself. Seeing a real metamorphic rock or a real nugget of gold offers something that painted replicas and pyrite can't. I I have a printed replica of Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night in my office, but to see the real thing, with the nuances of paint strokes and the thick lines protruding from the artist's hand, it just offers something that a printer with RBG ink can't. Real is not always glamorous, but it is beautiful. An actual transformation is calling us into what is real. My angst is just getting started. There's another issue I I have with this culture of pseudo-change, if we're going to call it that. And it is the resulting effects that appear to coincide with such an approach. So... I'm going to try to name a couple. First, I'm going to call this, we live in the age of marketing. So when we forego the process for a simple fix, we make a deal. We hand someone the resource of money in order to save our resources of time and energy. And your time and energy, they are fixed. Money, not necessarily so. The phenomenon of marketing that results is... To me, quite terrifying, seriously. Because if we have enough money, we can avoid any amount of discomfort imaginable or that's what we tell ourselves and that's what salespeople tell us. We therefore prioritize the goal of obtaining as much money as possible so as to protect ourselves from potential unease. There's a sort of ancient grasping for immortality and a modern grasping for convenience all mashed into one human experience that might actually be to our own detriment. Think of it this way, the, the difficult, decomposing, but also natural parts of humanity, we attempt to hide them. Like We reserve death for the emotionally sanitized spaces of hospitals. We hide our trash and waste behind vast walls as far away from the suburbs as we can. And we isolate animal husbandry so we don't have to smell... What makes our food possible while still enjoying the convenience of poorly made burgers? The goal, as it often seems, is for us to have whatever we want without costing us anything uncomfortable. And as a result, we have paved a way for the salesperson to capitalize on our desperation to help pay for their own conveniences. And the name of the game becomes to convince people that they need things they don't need and that your product, which you know, is more aesthetically pleasing and of a higher performance than the competitors is the very answer the other person's been looking for the entire time, and it's usually wrapped in shiny packaging. There is a certain individualism necessary for this to work. We've seemed at the least to accomplish that. But there is then a certain objectification of persons. The standard and goal of the market is rarely the health and well-being of the people involved or the, the the nurture of common human and ecological interdependence. The standards profit. You are a means to that end. And maybe you haven't had this experience, but I can't count how many times an apparent long-lost friend randomly contacted me with the guise of catching up only for me to find that I just happened to be on an old contact list and was an opportunity for them to make a sale and rank up. I've become a bit cynical if people who are conveniently nice to me upholding the highest demands of customer service i'm looking at you chick-fil-a because doing so would heighten the chances that i would fulfill an investment though a detached one where neither party particularly cares about the other they are just an object to gain a certain end i'm there to buy the thing so they get the money and they're there to sell it to me by being nice It's a bit difficult to run a hip sales campaign by inviting someone into a lifelong process of identity transformation. It just doesn't sell well, you know? So that's the first thing, the age of marketing. Secondly, you have what I might call the age of ease. And what is happening in this marketing phenomenon is an act of detached intrusion, okay? So there's this difference between invitation to something an intrusion into someone's life. So prescribing commodity products, right, to get what you want immediately and and get the salesperson what they can get from you if they play the game right, what happens is we trade detached usefulness for the loyalty, affection, and mutual responsibility necessary to to relationships. And we do so, I think, because we have prioritized ease, which, side note here, This is a prophetic realization as to why we are so lonely. Communities, especially rural ones, are declining. You know, healthy marriages are a rarity. Credit card debt is an assumed recognition of what it means to be a member of the American country club that is our culture because our priorities are detached from loyalty and affection and mutual responsibility over time in relationships. Anyways, through the technological and sociological progress of the modern era. With all of our mechanization and industrialization and economic abstractness, the individual has been provided with a plethora of means to defy survival. Comfort, convenience, and ease, these are the harbingers of the day. And we seem to have overcome the bane of most of history by transitioning from the disposition of survival to the ills of entertainment and accumulation. I mean, when camping is an entertainment industry, that's how you know you've arrived, right? So we have this market of products and, and they are geared towards bypassing the difficult process of being human. And listen, I know I'm grumbling and I probably sound really pretentious with all of this. I'm not making these claims for some from some higher like vantage point. I'm right here in the midst of this. I benefit from the age of marketing and the age of ease as much as the next person. I'm just trying to acknowledge how much of a compromise it might be in the hopes of avoiding the problem of blind participation and uncritical acceptance. And if this helps us steal a little bit of a better way in the midst of our culture, then I think the conversation is worth it. But from labor-saving devices to TV dinners, the landscape is dominated by ways to achieve a desired outcome without the associated work. And if our goals are profit and ease, then hey, we've succeeded. But in making this deal, I can't help but wonder what the other costs are. If work cannot be good and pleasurable and meaningful and constructive, then our aims of ease might actually be keeping us from the very things we are yearning to have. And if we are left with aisles full of devices, books full of ideas, and a digital sector devoted to abandoning the process for unhindered self fulfillment well, it might be costing us something. I think then in, in this age of individual gain and going after the easiest way possible, we need to question our motivation. Before we can critically engage with the problem of a shortcut culture, we need to pay attention to the first causes that got us here. Because if the goal is profit and ease, then we aren't going to be too concerned about health. Inviting people into a transformative process of change will be like speaking an unintelligible language. And those things, profit and ease versus health, those things might be mutually exclusive but we can't begin to discuss what we lose in the process until we confront the very essence of the goals. If life is like a marathon, then profit and ease would automatically exclude the health benefits of the marathon. Or there's the underlying cause of individualism. Social media has unashamedly told everyone that their opinion matters, and it is more important for you to take the stance and be heralded as right, according you know, to your own perspectives, than to contribute. Everyone has a platform, and it requires no peer review. It becomes necessary in this world to constantly affirm where you are rather than be curious about where you can go, to defend and debate rather than explore. And it becomes a symptom. They, we ought to constantly look out for number one. The driving motivation is one of self-gain usually at one another's expense, which might be at our own expense and leads to the invention of products like the shake weight. So we're going to stop there for today. And the next time, we're going to look at the difference between the short game and the long game. So hopefully I didn't piss anybody off too much, but we still got to bring this back to what all this means for how we actually change. See you next time.